We have a new sponsor here at In The Money Media. Wanted to tell you about it's Cut, K-U-T-T. This is a peer-to-peer social betting platform that's legal in 37 states plus D.C. where you can bet on sports, politics, and pop culture. Cut handles the payment side of things so you never have to chase anyone down for money. Tons of social features, group chats, betting leaderboards, much, much more. Cut, the social betting platform that lets you put your money where your mouth is. Check it out, kutt.com. And right now we've got a special offer for In The Money Media listeners, a 10% deposit bonus up to 100 in credits when you use our promo code In The Money. Check it out now, cut.com, In The Money. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is our show that will drop on Friday, April 28th for the races mainly of April 29th. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you in the Brooklyn Bunker once again, taking a break from recording Monster Pod videos, which will be uh, up probably about Monday, I'm going to guess, for that one. Um, Really, really excited, though, to be here ahead of this weekend before the giant weekend. There's some great racing, including where we begin out at Santa Anita. And two of my favorite Santa Anita guests are here with me. Uh, The first one I will introduce. He was on the show last week. He has a new website he's going to be telling us about. You've read his work, whether it was via Twitter or the Santa Anita or Del Mar websites, but somebody who serious horse players always want to read when they're thinking about Southern California racing. Frank Scatoni. Frank, how are things? Things are great, Pete. Thanks for having me back. Give us a little bit of the lowdown on the new website you just launched. Yeah, well, you know, I realized just there's so much white noise on Twitter. And, uh, you know, I feel like a lot of times if I push something out there, it might get lost or might not be seen in a timely fashion. So uh, my, my better half, who's actually way smarter than me, suggested that I set up a frankscatoni.com and just have a, a basic website where I can kind of curate all of the things that I'm doing between my Santa Anita write-ups, my, uh, you know, seminars and live streams at Del Mar, uh, my guest appearances on your show, optics, all that stuff, uh, and, and maybe also build up some unique content uh, in the future as well. So it's, it's in an inchoate state right now, but, uh, you know, you can, if, if you can't find what I tweet out, go to frankscatoni.com and you'll, you'll see what I'm up to that week. I had a random memory. I'm not joking. I just had a random memory from 1996. You and I sitting in editorial row at Simon and Schuster and discussing the word in Cohate. When no I threw one, that in there on purpose to see you if you remember this. Good job, Pete. Very famous author editor Michael Corda Michael overheard Corda. our conversation, gave his definition of the word, and even get used it in a sentence. His speech was vague and in Cohate. I remember this brush with greatness from back in the day. But so, yeah, it only took us about two minutes, 20 to go completely go uh, down the rabbit hole today. <laughs> frankly, The website sounds great. I love that idea. I'm sure we'll be talking more about it. We're going to talk about this pick five in just a minute with another guy. I can't wait to talk to when it comes to things uh, regarding Southern California racing. He's helped us out uh, on in the money writing. He's helped us out on the plus side with his uh, Santa Anita diary last fall. He looks at the, the world from a, a tremendous blend of 
what I'd call figures and trips and sort of old school form handicapping. He's Justin Christine. Justin, how are things? Things are great, Pete. Thanks for having me on. Hey, just promise me that you and uh, Frank don't use any of those big words. I'll, I'll get very confused if you guys keep keep throwing those big, big weird words out at me. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Right, it's just so. an attempt for us to sound smart. That's all. Yes. Yeah, that's, it, that's it worked. Nice. It the, word, the word of the day calendar pays off. You know, as a, as a, as a teacher, Justin, you That's know right. how it's I do. I do. I, I get that. We got a loaded card on Saturday at Santa Anita. You know, for all the troubles early <laughs> in the week regarding the weather, um, things are really coming together. But it's, uh, it's, a, it's a, 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 a tremendous card all the way around. 12 races. We're going to do this pick five that starts in race number eight with this starter allowance going a mile and an eighth on the turf. And uh, Justin, we're going to bring you in to ask you uh, what numbers will be on your tickets as we attempt to scale this particular mountain. Thanks, Pete. Well, um, I found that I'm, I'm going to be pretty short here um, through, throughout in legs 8 through 12. I, I don't know if it's um, I was just able to, to, to pinpoint things or if I'm, I'm missing a whole bunch. That's where you guys come come in. But um you know, in this first leg, I'm gonna I'm gonna loan a uh, El Potente. Um, I, I think that this horse is super sharp right now. He's a four year old that's getting better. I loved uh, his win at six and a half, sprinting on the turf. Um, and then last time he showed a new dimension. He showed that you know that he can sit off of horses. The way he finished and the way he looks says distance will be absolutely. No problem. I think the distance is distance of a mile and an eighth is is actually going to be uh, working his favor. Um, you know, I think probably he could make the lead if he wanted it. I think the five Rosenquist um, might go for it, and if so, he can you know he can track that horse either from his outside or or behind on the rail. I think he's going to get a beautiful trip, and um, I I think he's he's a good thing in this first leg. Now I will back up with. Um, the four club Aspen who got the worst of the trips uh, in, in that race on, on March 19th. Uh, he was three wide on the first turn, three wide on the second turn. Um, so he, he never found cover. Um, and, and, you know, that was a blanket finish and I'm going to have to use oncoming too as a B because he was in that blanket finish. Um, one fast bro who, who won that race came back to win a non-winners of one at golden gate. Uh, so, so that form is franked a bit, um, and then I'm also going to use a French ball on the outside just because you know he, um, he he's breaking from the nine post, but you know he, going a mile and an eighth, I'm not that concerned about it, and I think that um, you know he he has races back there that obviously make him make him a contender. Um, I don't love the switch to to Gutierrez on the turf, but um, you know I I, I think that. He's got to be used. So I'm going to use um, El Potente as a lone A, and then I'm going to use the four, eight, and nine as uh, backups. All right, four, eight, nine. You mentioned oncoming too. Did he? Did, is he going to be on tickets? Yes. Sorry. Yeah, he is going to be on tickets. Oh, um, no, four, four nine, uh, excuse me, four, six, nine. Right. right okay. Right. Gotcha. 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 And I definitely see your case about El Potente stretching out well. Not only did he upline. Um, in terms of pace figures late in that six and a half furlong race. But, 
you know, just looking at the blood, Silver Charm needs no introduction. Yeah. Uh, Damn Sire and Temple City, that's Dinoformer blood. Mile and Eighth should yeah. be within the grasp. Frank, how do you see this one? Yeah, I see it. I see it very similar to Justin. Um, I don't have as much confidence uh, as he does to have a single A in this race uh, because there are some question marks surrounding El Potente, but I do think that's the horse to beat. Um, and as Justin mentioned, uh, he's versatile. He can make the lead if nobody wants it, but he doesn't need the lead to win. Uh, my only question was, you know, getting getting the nine furlongs. Uh, so I was going to use him as an A, but I was also uh, speaking of the, the common race that a, a bunch of them came out of in that blanket finish. I was going to use number four, Club Aspen, and number six, Oncoming. I thought they ran the best races, as Justin mentioned. Club Aspen just had what I call the kiss of death trip on the turf, stalking three wide, great on the dirt, toss it on the turf. You just you can't win like that at Santa Anita, uh, stalking three wide in a in a two turn turf race. So I thought Club Aspen ran really well, all things considered. I like the weight break. And Oncoming also ran very well. Had to kind of wait for room in the lane, finally found a little seam and finished up very gamely. The big concern from that common race is that, you know, it was a blanket finish. So, uh, you know, that's why I think El Patente uh, has a big shot today because he's kind of a new face in the crowd. So my A's were going to be those three. I was going to go a little more spready here. I have a couple of B's also because uh, there's a horse that I'm going to single later in the sequence. I'll also throw, uh, you know, two other horses that came out of that race as B's. Number uh, nine, Flint Stroll, who Justin mentioned. It's just a better animal at nine furlongs. I'm willing to forgive that, uh, that last race in a mile when a couple of these beat him. Um, I don't think he got his preferred trip. He was kind of stalking the pace. He's more of a you know, pocket horse who likes to come from off a little bit. I think he'll get that today. And then number seven, explain this audit. It's like more like explain that last race. It was just so bizarre. He was he broke from the one hole and then turning from home, he's like nine wide. And it just, he had a horrible trip. He was never really involved. I don't know if maybe that was just a, a run around the track because this is a better nine furlong horse than a, than a mile horse. So I do think number seven, explain this audit can outrun his odds, but I have him and Flintstroll as secondary contenders here. All right, a lot of interesting ideas there to kick it off. We'll move to some graded stakes action in race number nine. Phillies and Mares, four and up, contest the Santa Maria, the grade two going a mile and a 16th on the dirt. We've got a, uh, a short field here, uh, six runners, Adair Manor listed as the eight to five favorite. Frank, are you with or against? Yeah, well, I mean, Adair Manor, I do think is the one to beat. Uh, I was very, very impressed by her last race. Big switch tried so hard to beat Adair Manor, but Hernandez did an amazing job. He knew exactly what he had. And to me, Big Switch was never going to get by Adair Manor in that race. Um, so I'm not worried about the, the stretch out to eight and a half furlongs today. Uh, Adair Manor has, has speed, will dictate the pace. But that being said, Big Switch is going to have to take it to this horse. Um, so I kind of see a little bit of a scenario where those two kind of knock heads early you know, big switch trained by John Sadler. He's got another one in this race, number one, uh, Kirsten Bosch, who, you know, do not sell short. This is this is a very, very good horse. This is a grade three winner uh, at today's distance over this track. I think Kirsten Bosch is going to get a great ground-saving trip, just kind of tracking the pace. And uh, if those two duel up front, I could totally see Kirsten Bosch pulling off the upsetter. So I was going to have Kirsten Bosch as an A and have a lot of my action go through that as kind of a separator, I will also use Adair Manor as well because I do think that's the one to beat. 
and I can use that one with some prices later on. But I think the sneaky play in here is the one. Very, very interesting. And I like that, you know, in terms of construction, when you have two big favorites like that, love the idea when you can fade one, especially if you think they're going to have similar trips and you rate one better than the other in terms of, you know, there's a lot of money to be made. I think sometimes betting against the second best speed is another way to put it. Justin, how do you see this one? Are you with Frank and uh, going to try to get cute or are you more dialed into the top two? No, I see it a little bit differently than Frank, actually. I, I'm I'm against the Dare Manor here. I think, um, first of all, as a four-year-old, I don't think she's ever gotten back to that early season three-year-old form. Um, I, I was, a, okay, so let's take her last race. There were Baffert tactics at play there with uh, Ganadora, who was also in the race, um, who also has a whole bunch of speed. That horse just let Adair Manor get to the lead and an uncontested lead at that. Big Switch had no choice with Joe Bravo but to engage early. Um, I, I don't think it was a situation where Bravo wanted to go that early, but he knew he had no choice but to try to take it to Adair Manor at that point or else um, the race was absolutely over. So, you know, that, that brings me to the five Mongolian Panther who I, I don't know why this horse is in this race. I guess they're thinking maybe if they can get a, a, a graded placing, but in my mind, and I'm trying to put myself in the connections heads, the only chance they have to, to hit the board is to send hard. And if that's the case, then Adair Manor may have some company up front early. Um, and, and so that's how I see the race unfolding. So I have to play big switch as my A because if I if I see um, in my mind Mongolian Panther gunning for the lead, then I think big switch sits the perfect trip. And I think in this case, Adair Manor may get softened up slightly and big switch does wait a little bit longer to engage and then um, is able to run by in the lead. I think big switch is moving forward. I think... Um, He's going to turn the tables on a dare manner. So I'm going to use him as a lone A. And then I'm going to use a Frank's idea of Kirsten Bosch as, as my uh, only B. I think if, if it does heat up early and um, big switch gets a, a three wide trip and you can see these three perhaps, or, or the five fading and then a dare manner and big switch heating it up um, at the quarter pole, Kirsten Bosch might just come running and, and nail them both. So I'm going to use him as a B, but Big Switch is going to be my lone A here. All right. It's a compelling case. We'll see how it plays out on the racetrack on Saturday in that uh, Santa Maria. Let's Can I talk just chime in real quick, Pete? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I I, I love everything Justin said. And I, to me, that's that's the beauty of, of handicapping. You know, we could both look at the the same race and come up with a different way it might unfold. And I find, I find that happens a lot more in short fields because it's more of a guessing game as to what the jockeys are going to do. Um, you know, it is so much easier for me to suss out the pace in a full field because you know, the horses are going to give an honest effort when it's a short field. You don't know if someone's going to send to try and soften someone up. You know what I mean? It's just, it, it's crazy. So, I just love the fact that Justin sees the race total the race setup totally different than the way I see it. So it'll be very fun to watch the outcome and see see who's right. 
that's what's good about, you know, doing these shows and, and playing this game. And, you know, it's a game of, of opinions and a game of race design. I think that's a good point about the short fields. They become tactical affairs and knowing jockey tendencies and what horses are doing in the race. I, I think it's not a bad guess about the five being in there to run for a placing. I mean, if she she's got a nice, you know, she's by Carlin, right? So if she can get third, um, that's going to be a lot for her value. I mean, I would agree with Justin, and we can't spend too much time in this race because we've got a lot more ground to cover, but I would trying to win, there's no doubt that you dead send. But if they really only care about third, galloping around there is a possibility. That right. might set up more Frank's way of seeing it. Right. it it'll be, I'm, I'm suddenly way more interested in this race after this conversation, and that's yeah. you know the whole point of doing these shows. All right, let's proceed, gentlemen, to race number 10. We've got a starter allowance going six and a half on the turf here. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, this is in the traditional configuration, six and a half. Well, I shouldn't say that. It's the the main track configuration, not the downhill um, six and a half. Justin, let's bring you back in for your thoughts on this field of ten. Yeah, I'm um, I'm going to use uh, the ten Verat as my my top choice here. Um, the race two back on on February fifth. Um, the horse just got lost early. I, I, uh, Rispoli took the horse completely out of its running style. Um, it, it just, the, the horse looked lost and, and just m- made no move towards the lead. Um, so I'm drawing a line through that one. And then the horse's most recent race on March 5th, I'm also drawing a line through. That was an extremely passive ride. And I'm, I'm, I try not to be critical of jockeys uh, very often, but this horse had a chance to run up into second to, to press um, too wide. And Rispoli was very tentative. He found himself in fourth early. Um, he, he ended up chasing. Uh, he didn't go forward when he needed to. I, I think if, if this horse gets a trip like the one three back, um, now facing lesser, I think um, this horse might be really, really tough in the lane. I, I can see him uh, sitting a nice trip uh, two or three wide in the second flight. Now, that being said, I can also dream up a scenario where this pace heats up. Um, and, and if that's the case, I also want the number one green bow. Um, that first first race off the layoff, uh, even though it was against maiden 50s, was a big effort. Uh, and, you know, I don't know how much the horse beat. And if, if you look at the, the comment lines, he has a tendency to, to, to get off slow. Um, I didn't think that cost him too much. I mean, it's the comment says off slow, but I, I, I have it as a length slow if that. Uh, so I think that was a bit exaggerated. Um, and, you know, I, I think the one post here doesn't hurt him as much as it would going six and a half down the hill. And so if, if the pace heats up like I, I think it could, then I also want the one, uh, a green bow as, as in my mind, the best finisher in the race. Um, and then I'm just going to use one B in here. And that's relaxed artists. Um, this is a this is a position where the barn um, does good with these types, and and this is purely anecdotal. But um, claiming horses, um, laying them off, and then bringing them back uh, in a spot that uh, is worth slightly more than than what they last ran for, um, I can see this horse sitting uh, mid pack, and if the pace heats up, I think this. This horse has some finish as a uh, basically a, a first out four year old. So I'm going to use um, the one in the 10 
as A's, and I'm going to use the seven as a B. And then Frank and, and Pete, tell me what what you think. I, you know, I thought I thought I might use seismic spirit, but even with the weight break, this time of year, I, I, I I'm not a big fan of taking three year olds uh, versus olders, and he he is one of only two three year olds in this spot, and so I left him off my ticket. All right, we'll get Frank's thoughts on that. I mean, I have noticed that angle can be tricky out there with the with the three year olds. I mean, this is the time of year where it probably begins to start to to switch up a little bit. Curious about Frank's thoughts about that, but also curious about Frank's thoughts about Greenbow, who, if I'm remembering correctly, um, I'm not sure if you were on TV that day. Yeah, I was on. I was on Quigley's show. I gave it out at eleven to one. I showed the replay of that, uh, of, that of that race that Justin was talking about. Uh, was the last time the time, or can you come right back to your boy here? Um, I have I have Greenbow as a as a B contender, but uh, I just want to mention what Justin asked about uh, three year olds against older. I I'm pretty stubborn about that uh, until we get to Del Mar. They're up against it. They're really up against it out here. I'm not saying they can't win, but if a horse is a three year old in a full field and is taking a lot of money, I'm typically against that horse. So I was not going to use use that Peter Miller. I was going to use the other Peter Miller that uh, Justin mentioned, Verat, uh, on the outside, for all the same reasons. I think he is going to get that trip that he got three back, kind of just sitting, stalking, uh, stalking the pace and looking ready to pounce, dropping dropping in from, uh, you know, dropping in for a, t- a tag today, I believe, uh, mm-hmm. for, the, for the first time. Uh, let me see. Yep. Yep. Dropping into it for a tag from coming from those allowance races. So I think, I think Verat will be very tough. Uh, I'm gonna, but I, I have a couple of other A's. I, I really like the race that uh, really big news and Booksmart come out of. I thought Booksmart ran really well, did all the dirty work up front, was getting hounded, was down on the inside, and the horse never quit. Never quit. Got overtaken uh, by the winner who was uh, you know heavily bet that day, and by really big news who I also like. I like today. I think really big news will excel with a little extra distance. Um, this is one of my angles you know, I, that I go for. Horses who show speed going six furlongs and then getting tired late, when they come back at six and a half and seven, the pace is not going to be as fast. So I, I think Booksmart can get away with much slower fractions today. And, you know, Glad is really, really good when he leg, legs up a bug boy. You know, he's, he's smart. He knows that uh, he knows that weight break will come in handy in the later stages of the races. So I came up with uh, my A's as number three, really big news, uh, who had trouble last time, still finished up well, galloped out well. I think that horse will move forward. So I've got the three, the nine, and the ten as my A's. I really do think, like, if it's not one of those three, throw a dart. This is a really, really tough race. Um, I, I, I probably will use the one as a B. Um, and maybe a couple of others, but uh, I'm hoping to get get out with those three horses. All right. So mainly, and is the ten the top pick? Would you call it ten three nine sequentially? Um, actually, I, I would go three ten nine. All right, three ten nine. Yeah. And of course, this race will be in your full write up. So if you do choose to go back and put in some more bees, folks can check that out on the day, santanita.com under the handicapping section or the brand new frankscatoni.com. So we've got a couple of <laughs> couple of different ways people can keep tabs on your evolving thoughts cuz just cuz we talk about this you know as we're recording this Thursday night doesn't mean that some things might not change as we get closer to post time. 
Let's talk about race number 11, gentlemen. Uh, this is a cowbred maiden for horses three to five years old, the fillies and mares. We're going six furlongs on the dirt. Frank, we're going to keep it with you. Uh, yeah, this is where I thought you could get tight. I thought number four, Whimsical Air, uh, was, was the most likely winner in this sequence. She's making the second start of her four-year-old career after running a uh, four-year-old year after running a good third in her comeback race. She might have been a little bit short. Uh, she did go off as a seven-to-five favorite, so you know somebody thinks she has ability. I think she's going to stalk the pace, pound strongly. She is an A. If you're looking for backups, you know we did talk about uh, how tough it is for three-year-olds to beat elders, um, but I do think number three, Danzig Cat, uh, should run a really good good one today. This horse debuted back in July at Del Mar, set a really, really fast pace, got tired, hit the shelf, now comes back to start her three-year-old career. Uh, I saw Peter Miller win with a, a horse very similar like this, uh, similar to this a couple of weeks ago. It was a three-year-old against elders in a sprint race. Horse was breaking from the rail, had speed, made the lead, never looked back. So uh, I will use three Danzy Cat, you know, as, as a secondary contender on some of my tickets, but I think Whimsical Air is the one to beat here, and, and most of my action will be going through through her. And to your point about three-year-olds, you specifically said before, in a big full field as a heavy favorite, you, you tend to be against. Here you're dealing with a situation with a much shorter field where the three-runner might well have a very big pace advantage and getting that weight break. You can see it's one of these things that's frustrating in horse racing. You know, you want to just answer people's questions when they ask you these things, and so often the right answer is, it depends. It depends. <laughs> yeah. so we'll bring you back in. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this one? Is it as simple as Frank makes it out to be? Uh, actually, I think, gentlemen, that today is the day for bold choice. And this is not usually a horse that I would go for. Over 11. Yeah, over 11 with four seconds. Um, you know, but I, I watched the race that Danzig Cat ran uh, last July. You know, she didn't switch leads. Only one horse from that race came back to do anything in its next couple starts. And that was a horse that won for uh, Maiden 50. And same thing with Whimsical Air. Man, I, you know, I, I thought that horse should have won that last race. Got wired by a 19 to one shot who was on the wrong lead. And this horse never looked like he was going to go by. And now, like Frank said, um, second time four-year-old. Yep. May have been a bit short, but man, I thought that horse should have won that race as the dollar forty favorite. Um, so I'm going to use these two defensively, but I'm going to use Bold Choice as an A because Danzig Cat has a bunch of speed. The rail horse Riders Candy is fresh off a long layoff, showed some speed in the horse's last race. I think I think she's I think um, Herrera is going to send her from the rail. Um, and, you know, Whimsical Air has is, is, is got speed, too. And then throw in Smiling Amy, who, you know, I don't think is as fast as these horses, but needs to be up close. All that equals, um, uh, to me, a hot pace with horses that are uh, a bit faint-hearted. Um, so the way I, I see it, Bolt Choice is going to get the run of the race, and, and he's going he's gonna to run them all down in the final half furlong. He's going to be my A. I'm going to use the three Danzig Cat, Whimsical Air as Bs. And then I'll also throw uh, Fly Me to the Moon Baby as a, as a B also with some sharp, fast works uh, at, at Los Al. Just because I think this race is, um, is wanting for, uh, for talent. So, um, you know, that's, that's the way I see it.
Seven, three, four, five on the backup line. One more race to go over in just a couple of minutes to do it. This one is on the downhill, six and a half. Phillies and mares in the allowance ranks. Um, big full field signed on. Really curious to hear how we're going to close this thing out. Justin, we'll start with you. I've been waiting for Ultimate High to come back, and, and I'm so glad this horse came back down the hill because I really think this horse wants to sprint. Really tough trip last time. Um, was really running late, and, and that, that race had no pace in it. The one, two, three finishers, the one, two, three horses early finished three, one, two. So there's basically no change in the, in the front of that race. Um, this horse ran on nicely after having some trouble. So I won ultimate high at eight to one as an A. Um, and I also won Ma France uh, as an A. If you look at that race on June 17th of last year as a, as a, a first, uh, first time in the States as a three-year-old, that horse looked really good. Now, um, she got a good trip, but she made her trip. She was handy. And, you know, if she runs that race, and you project the three to four improvement, you know, and she wins this race, in my opinion. She's tactical. She's going to be mid-flight. She's got a great post. Um, and I think there's some talent there. And, and, and so um, I have to play the two ultimate high and the four Ma France as A's. And then, you know, actually looking at the morning line for, for uh, this race, Lucky for you, the, the Baffert horse that's cutting back, I thought uh, might be the favor on the morning line. I was shocked when I saw five to one because I can't believe this horse is going to be anywhere near five to one in the morning line. Honestly, I didn't know what to do with this horse. I mean, the horse blasted off and, and didn't switch leads down the stretch, stretch uh, assuming he, uh, she was exhausted. And she is coming back pretty quickly. Uh, so... I'm going to use her defensively. I almost cut her out altogether. I'm going to use her as a B. And then I'm going to use Denim and Gold as a B also because I like the looks of this horse. And, and if you tab this horse from the race three back, um, I really like that that effort. You throw out the, the race on March 5th going a mile. The last race, he stumbled badly, and she had no chance in that race. So you draw a line through that. Blinkers go back on. Outside post with Maldonado, who rode great the first weekend. I think this horse is live at 12-1. to 1. I'm going to use this horse as a B also. So two uh, and four on the A line, and then five and ten on the B line for me. And then Shocking Gray, I didn't know what to do with. I wanted to use somewhere. Maybe on an all-A ticket, I'll, see, I'll use this horse as a C, but... Um, only in that, because this horse will probably be last. Though. All right. I'll uh, six on there is a deep backup for you. Frank, let's get your numbers and uh, close this thing out. Yeah, very, very, very tough race. Uh, very competitive race. I think you can get a nice price in here to close out the sequence. Uh, I was going to be cheeky and just go sit, have a single A in here and then have a bunch of Bs as a backup. I really like number 10, Denim and Golds, 12 to 1 on the morning line. You know, I love tactical speed drawn outside on the downhill turf course. Um, adding blinkers, uh, 
She was favored at this level last time. She stumbled at the start. She had a very eventful beginning to the race. She only managed third, but I thought she tried hard and ran really well. It was a good effort. She's a lightly raced four-year-old. She still has plenty of upside, and I think she's going to get the right trip in here. Uh, so even though I do think this is a super competitive race, sometimes in these situations, I like to single when people are spread. It's very similar to what Justin was doing uh, in the first leg. You know, that's a tough race, but he was going to plant his flag with a horse. I'm going to plant my flag with number 10, Denim and Gold. And, uh, you know, if, if, if I'm alive and, I, and I'm right, I have a great separator because I do think a lot of people are going to be very spready to close out this sequence. As for my Bs, I'll just give you, give you the horses. Uh, number two, Ultimate High, as Justin mentioned. I've always liked this horse. So she's just a professional racehorse. Uh, Ma France is another one I'd use as a B. Uh, at 12 Lady J at 15 to 1. I think that's a ridiculous price. She has good stakes form. I know she hasn't you know, gotten the job done, but she's been over this course a bunch of times. Uh, she likes it. She knows the configuration. She'll get a good trip as well. And then I'm debating on whether or not I want to use number 11, Carmen Miranda, as a B, uh, the second D'Amato horse. You know, really no excuse last time. It was 3 to 1, was up on a very, very slow pace. And you know, she just didn't finish up as strongly as I was expecting. So I'm on the fence. You know, if she was a higher price on the morning line, I would definitely use her. But at three to one, I don't know. I think she's the kind of horse you might want to try and take on. I'll leave as a deep backup for you. I really like the case on Denim and Gold. And at 12 to one on the morning line, if that thing wins, it could be a case of uh, Julio get the stretch to take you out to uh, downtown Pasadena after the race is on. on uh, yeah. All right. I got guys waiting in the green room, so I'm going to jet. But really appreciate your time today, gentlemen. We'll, we'll reconvene this panel very soon. And, uh, you know, Godspeed in your wagering journeys. We'll talk to you. Uh, well, if it's not me, it'll be maybe Spencer who reaches out about the, the Derby Simulcast show and Santa Deed Action next weekend. Awesome. Thanks, Pete. Love it. Thanks, guys. There is a new wager we want you to know about. It's the Preakness Future Bet. This actually came up from brainstorming sessions that involved JK and myself. And if I'm admitting it to honestly, it was really JK's idea. This bet is going to be live from April 27th. It's going to be closing before the Derby. There are a whole bunch of betting interests. Most of the horses from the Derby are in there. I think all of them, actually, as well as some horses we know are pointing towards the Preakness. There's also an all-others option. You can bet it on first bet. You can bet it on express bet. They're also sponsoring our Monster Pod, so you're going to hear a whole lot more about this very exciting Preakness future wager from our friends at first. Next up on the show, we have a JRA, Japan Racing Association, sponsored segment. And to do that with me, we have representing the JRA via his home base of Woodbine, Klaus Ebner. Klaus, what's going on? Hey, Pete. How you doing? Things are good. I want to talk about the big race going on Saturday night into Sunday morning. But before we get to that, I think it's uh, only appropriate we get a little bit of an update on the Japanese runners who are going to be pointed to the Kentucky Derby. We saw Derma Sotagake and continue our work the other day. And there's been a lot of chatter about this on social media. The, we'll get to that. The other news, you tell me, but as defections continue, are we in a situation where Mandarin Hero might be able to run in this race? Has he been ruled out by connections? What What's the latest on Mandarin Hero? Well, I know he's actually, he actually arrived at Churchill Downs yesterday, I believe. So 
I think the, the, the connection sort of saw the defections happening and they said, hey, we actually have a shot. So, you know, I know, I know they're based at Santinita there. So I think their idea, the plan is for them is that should there be any sort of last minute defections this week, they're going to breeze him in the, in the hopes that he can get in. And then, you know, hopefully crossing fingers. Again, he don't want to say crossing fingers because it's just one of those things where, you know, especially where, where Skinner got him yesterday with uh, unfortunate passing of the horse. No one ever wants to hear that or see that in our industry. Um, right. But, you know, should anything happen to any, any of their horses above him, I think that their, their their goal is to run him. Interesting. That's very interesting. So yeah, he. I mean, because he comes out of that race with a long conversation about it on the pro player uh, roundtable that we did last night about that Santa Anita Derby figure. But you know, you 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 could. The, the, it's not too hard to to make a case if that race was as fast as a lot of people have it that that he could be going there with a with a big chance as well. Now, here's a cheeky way of asking this question: After the Dermasodagake, continue our work. Is there a chance continue R might be a horse who just decides not to make the Derby? I I um I, I didn't think he looked nearly as good as I, I'd seen him look before in that in that work. Uh, am I misinterpreting things? How, what did you think of it? Yeah, I I, I just I think so. So what's going to happen is just so, so everyone's aware of how they kind of do it in Japan. They're probably going to have another blowout, I believe, uh, this upcoming Wednesday before the race. So. That was sort of like, you know, hey, get the cobwebs out more than anything else. So everyone needs to understand how they do it in Japan. So, you know, I I, I understand the kind of trepidation about everyone seeing that continue our work and being like, wow, this horse is not belonging in the race, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I just think it's an over overreaction in my opinion. Okay. Uh, I think, you know what, let's let's see how he, he turns out in his next next work. I think we can all agree Dermosodagaki had, had a pretty pretty good work. You know, it was at least allowed him to stretch his stretch out. He galloped out pretty well. Everyone was kind of like, hey, you know what? Yeah, this is a horse that's going in the right direction. And we all understand that. And I think we knew with him being one of the contenders in the race, that's probably you know what he would do. But I think the challenge we have with that too is just there, there's two different horses, right? They're two different horses in terms of running style. Dermosodagaki had to have a target and that had to be Continuar. Continuar has zero turn of foot. He's the, he's, as I mentioned before, he is a grinder. That's what he does. He just has no turn of foot at all. So he will just grind away. And yeah, his, his, his work mate, bested him that day in terms of Dermosodagaki, and he did not gallop out very well in terms of continue R. So, you know, like I said, let's just kind of leave the whole armchair quarterbacking, at least in my opinion, everyone's entitled to their opinions, but let's just leave the armchair quarterbacking until we see what continue R does this week on the track. And yeah, at the end of the day, I think we can all agree that Trader Yohagi is one of the best in the world in terms of targeting races. He knows what he's doing. He did it with Marsh Lorraine, the British Cup distaff at Long Odds. So let's kind of see how he how he comes out of the work this week. And yeah, if, if things aren't right, they definitely aren't going to run their horse to if if he has no shot or if he's not training or or, or doing well this week. So uh, again, I, I just think everyone needs to be. You know, I'm not saying like you know calm down, but it's just you know let's just let's just. <laughs> it's okay. The, you can tell me to calm down. I, I probably. <laughs> I, I, I'm not immune. You know, look, I watch horses work from time to time. Yes. But, yes. You know, I'm still a I'm a dilettante. And then you get other people who I think only look at workouts at this time of year giving opinions as if this is something they know about. It's it's a funny thing because 
you know, I think there are very valid reasons why everyone tries to become a workout expert at this time of year. The workouts I really do believe are more important leading into a race like this because of the distance questions, because of the very specific condition questions. But that doesn't mean we necessarily know what we're talking about um, at, at all. Um, and even if you do know what you're talking about, it's one data point in a sea of data points. But I am interested in something you said about the shaking out the cobwebs, specifically regarding the derma sodagake part of the work, because it did seem like he took a little bit. I wasn't sure if he wasn't. I, I watched it different times and had different opinions different times if he was not really being asked early or if he simply wasn't responding early. But I felt like there was no doubt in those last three furlongs, he looked very, very good. And maybe some of the the you know negative buzz on Continuar is really reflective of how good Derma Sodagake looked. Because there is a reading of the figures in form of the Japanese horses where Derma is several lengths better than than the other two. And maybe that's just what we're seeing in the workout. So I'd love for you to comment on what you saw from the Derma side of things the other day. Yeah, I, I just think it for me, it showed a horse who is right now on his game, uh, is hopefully peaking at the right time. And the fact that the thing I liked the most about that workout, P, was the fact that it showed that Derma has a turn of foot. Right, like he he inhaled Continuar pretty quickly, and yeah, everyone can judge Continuar on on a face value in terms of what it looked like from his point of view. But still, you know, he's still a quality horse in terms of, in terms of Continuar, and he needed the target. He inhaled the target pretty quickly on the turn, and then accelerated uh, after that. And yes, people can say, well, you know, it wasn't handily; it was more being asked for Dermatodiaki. And they just said, listen, uh, they've that's their style. And, and what I can say too on that point, Pete, is just about the whole, you know it doesn't look right or they're they're not doing things right is let's also put in a frame of reference of this is Japanese trainers doing things their way on foreign soil uh, to the best of their ability. They would have, you know, you, you know, these horses would usually be at a training center in Japan with multiple facilities for them to use. But again, they're at Churchill Downs with only the racetrack to use as, as a kind of a, a training area, if you will. So these methods and, and, you know, Training, training styles they're going to use are all very different and what's what what works for them as trainers in Japan as opposed to what we're accustomed to in North America here with you know three four five furlong breezes or or, or you know gallops at the same time so uh, like I said before let's just take it all with a kind of grain of salt understand that you know listen because it's not what we're used to in North America does not make it wrong and because no. a horse is, you know like pardon expression but ass does not necessarily mean the horse is doing you know, badly it's just a case of you know the trainer may have a certain you know routine or method in mind for that certain horse and let's just see how the horse comes up to the race next week and like i said if, if things go sideways for continuar and he, he looks like you know he, he has, has no shot i am certain the connections will say let's you know what we're gonna pull the plug and, and you know, maybe aim for the preakness or belmont or whatever it may be so with the success that the Japanese runners have had around the world doing this type of thing, competing on foreign soil, to question them, I, I think, is questioning Warren Buffett's investment strategy at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's just like I said, it, it, it's, you know, the, the end goal is everyone's trying to get to the race in peak fitness, but everyone's doing it a different way. And that's how, that's how you look at it. So, yeah. And the body of work just speaks for itself. All right. That's not the only thing we have you here to talk about. We do have the Tenno show happening on uh, Saturday night into Sunday. Uh, looks like uh, some very familiar names turning up in this spot. Curious to know what you think the main storylines are coming in. If you have an idea of a, of a wager you might be placing. Yeah. So, so for me, this is really, you know, if we're looking at 
the the race on a whole. Uh, again, this is sorry, this is the Tenno Show Spring Mile, a two mile race in Japan. This is the first of two Tenno shows, so they have the spring one here uh, at the newly renovated Kyoto. So we haven't been at Kyoto for over a year now, as they've gone through. I think it was eight hundred million dollars in renovations to the racetrack. It's a beautiful racetrack. You know, I, I've been there before, prior to the renovations. Uh, it's one of my favorite racetracks in the world. Uh, it's very nice. It's very beautiful in my area that it's in in, in, in Kyoto. So um, again, if anyone ever has a chance to get there, I would strongly suggest that that be one of their racetracks to hit. Uh, but really, for me, this is a case of a, a showdown between uh, the four and the five-year-olds uh, in this race. I, I, I mean, looking at the, the race itself, I think that's a. I really can make a case for only about four to five horses in here that really have a, a chance. And the, and the one that's really taking all the money and attention here is title holder. Now title holder, for those that kind of don't remember last year, uh, title holder was really, you know, the, the kind of big horse. Uh, him and Euphoria uh, last year coming into the year were the, were the two that everyone's looking at. Uh, you know, if title holder came in here to this event uh, last year when it was run at Hanshin. Uh, he won that year. He won this race last year at Hanshin, came back to win the Takarizuka Keenan. And then after that, you know, was the, unfortunately, the, the, the failed arc attempt where he tried to, you know, make the running all the way in the arc. But that was just a bog that day, and he just didn't want any part of that. You know, he, he came back, and, yeah, he ran his race in the Arena Keenan, but, you know, he finished, uh, I'm not going to say respectable ninth, but it was kind of up the track ninth in the, in the, in the Arena Keenan. And I really think that was kind of a... You know, the leftover effects from them doing the ship out to France and then the ship back and, you know, him just not being himself anymore. But, you know, what PD, he really stamped himself as, you know, one to watch at least to show that he's back to his old self in that last race being the, the grade two Nikkei show, which is at, you know, distance a little over, uh, I think it was mile and nine sixteenth that day at Nakayama. Uh, he went to the front, which is kind of his usual, you know, he doesn't have to go to the lead, but that's kind of his usual forte, if you will. Pardon the pun. Um, and then uh, he won the race by eight lengths. So he, he decimated that field that day. So if anything, that shows me that, you know, the, the old title holder is back. Um, you know, there are other horses in here that uh, I think there's a look. You know, you can look at uh, Ask Victor Moore, who's you know one of the last sons of deep impact that we'll see on the track in Japan. Uh, he won the St. Leger, Leger last year uh, at Hanshin. So he's one that I can I can think that you know has a uh, a shot in here as a four-year-old. You know his return race was also in that Nikkei show against Title Holder. He finished ninth that day. So not sure if you know just again it kind of he has that kind of shaky form, uh, but could be one at a price. But what I'm really looking at is the is Bull, Bulldog Haas. Uh, this is a horse who finished second last year and behind uh, Equinox uh, in the Rima Keenan, which is the end of year Grand Prix at uh, Mount and. Uh, Nine sixteenths, and then he came back in, in his you know start of the year campaign in the Hanshin Daisholten at at uh, you know a little shorter than this at at, at three thousand meters and finished a respectable second a th second behind uh, Justin Palace, who's also in here and also was a contender. So you know I think of all the horses, I probably look at at Bulldog Haas just because you know he he kind of had that Equinox form. He did finish second to Ask Victor Moore. Um, so I think, you know, in my opinion, those are the four that I would really be looking at and kind of keying things around title holder, who I think is the real deal and, and probably would beat this field on Saturday. So, you know, again, title holder, Justin Palace, uh, aspect and more. And, and again, my, my selection will probably be, I'll probably lean towards Bulldog Haas as a bit of a price behind uh, title holder. Justin Palace, very strong in the market behind title yes. holder at the kind of numbers, uh, if, if the current pricing was to hold up, would that be too short on Justin Palace for you? Or, or do you see 
him and and title holder as close as the market right now has them. Yeah, I, you know, again, I, I think the big thing with Justin Palace is the fact that he has Lamar aboard. Um, right. So you know, in, in, in terms of that too, is that the draw did no favors to, uh, you know, some of that some of the the bullet hawks had a pretty bad draw in terms of thirteen uh, out there. You also have you know another older horse that people may be familiar with, and then from a Silver Sonic who had that winning effort in Saudi Arabia, and uh, then that you know distance race out there. So you know. Justin Palace drew the one, title holder drew the three, and then Asterix or Moore drew the six. So I think for me, those are the, you know, those are the three that really had the, the best draw draws of the race in here. Uh, again, not saying any other horse can't win in here, but you know, those, that's why I believe Justin Palace has the better odds or, you know, favoritism over Bulldog Haas is just because. Of the draw. Well, maybe some value in Bulldog Haas's direction. Then, funny moment in the video I posted yesterday on YouTube with Randy Moss and Jerry Bailey, with uh, Jerry Bailey basically just talking to the camera and addressing uh, LaMare and, and giving some advice for the for the Derby. I think we're going to have to clip that out for social and send it around. I'll, I'll tag you on it. Maybe we can get it in front of him. I, I don't know if uh, Christoph would be amenable to that, but, I mean, if you're going to take advice about uh, winning a giant international race, you could probably do worse than listening to Jerry Bailey. I'm just going to throw that out there. Who's Jerry Bailey? He's, probably, he's, he's, he's some schlep, isn't he? <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna tell him you said that class I'm gonna tell him you said no 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 yeah. I, I, jerry bailey one, one of the greatest jockeys ever to ever ride here in north america in the world so yeah that's uh, again that's and lemaire's no slouch so yeah they're, they're oh i mean he's he's, the, yeah, he's regarded by many as the best in the world and this is a a different type of deal it's just an interesting situation he's in where you know i think those of us who want to see derma do well we want to see him. We want to see him not do exactly what happened last year, but we also don't want to see him overcorrect and 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 grab. So it's it's uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out. We'll have more updates on the Japanese contingent. Uh, we've got Michael Adolfson back for a show we're going to do on Sunday. I'm sure we'll talk about it then. We'll be covering them on the monster pods that are dropping next week as well. So lots of good stuff coming up as far as that goes. And class, hopefully, we'll check in with you. One more time before the big dance, whether it's me or uh, Spencer in the chair for our uh, simulcast edition next week, because there is JRA action next Saturday as well. Chance to, to get out after the Derby. Yeah, we, we keep going for a little while here now. So, yeah, certainly lots Thanks. of opportunities. Love it. All right, my man. We'll be talking soon. Thanks, Pete. Come see us live next week in Kentucky. We've got a schedule of events. I'm just going to send you to the pretty link in the money slash live. Wednesday in Lexington at night, Thursday at the Galt House in Louisville at night, couple of appearances at uh, Chestnut Hall Farm along the way, including a whiskey tasting. Anyway, go check it out in themoneypodcast.com slash live. Happy to welcome back to the program member of the home team. He is the business manager over here at ITM. He's the reigning Breeders' Cup betting challenge champion, and he's the guy we come to when it comes to all things Woodbine. He's Drew Codney. Drew, what's up, my man? Hey, I'm doing good. A little, little rainy out here in Columbus this morning, but um, we're doing good. We're doing good. Uh, some folks battling some things. My wife uh, has a laryngitis, lost her voice. Ugh. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's rough and tumble here, but you know, everyone's healing up well and we're fighting the good fight. So good on our camp. How about you? Things are good. Excited about this weekend of racing. We're doing the, the, you know, it's been all derby all the time. Lots of cool new content out for people to check out. You told me you were having a, a hankering for it the other day. Well, 
Um, we've got Paul and Sean up there now talking about figures from the preps. We've got the Monster Pod about to drop. YouTube exclusive. Want to make sure people know about our YouTube exclusive too with uh, Jerry Bailey and Randy Moss. That one you're going to definitely want to see um, just if you go to In The Money Media over on YouTube. In this segment, we're tackling the late pick four at Woodbine on Saturday. I'm probably looking to bet these races more individually than as a pick four. And we get the, the return of stakes racing to our Woodbine coverage with the three-year-old Phillies in the star shoot that goes as race number seven at 421 Eastern. Where was your eye drawn in this spot, Drew? Yeah, and I love this. We're kind of building from card to card every weekend, and it really is starting to ratchet up a little bit here, and I, I'm looking forward to what's what's to come in four weeks. But for race seven with the Starshoot Stakes to kick things off going six furlongs, I saw zero speed in this race. So my estimation, anyone within that like one to two lengths from the leader at first call is going to be in really good shape. And my eyes drawn to the number five, Jill Jitterbug at three to one morning line. And I think should get that perfect pressing or even on the lead type of trip and the figures fit. Turfway Park form, how's that going to translate? Well, it's translated well to Keeneland and two back ran against Botanical, who I'm going to make a bold prediction for L&J Foxwoods is going to be a graded stakes winner at Woodbine before the year's over. So the number five, Jill Jitterbug for me. And then I'm going to back up a little bit with the number three, Kavala. Uh, Tried twice going sprinting at five and a half furlongs and now stretches out to the full six. And both those tries were winning ones, but light on the figures. But today gets a rider change with Hernandez and might be a bit closer up to the Vanguard now that they're going the full six furlongs instead of that five and a half furlong. Sometimes you see five and a half furlong sprints. If you don't have that really like Wesley Ward sprinting style, you're out of the frame quickly. Six furlongs evens the playing field a little bit. So five and three for me, and I'm going to be fading the number one collecting flatter. I think it's just going to be too slow early and we'll have too much to do late in what appears to be a paceless race. So five and three for me, I'll use an A line at the five and a B line at the three. I like Jill Jitterbug as well. The only one I was going to talk about in here has the recency edge from Turfway. You mentioned, you know, Turfway Park. It's it's not your father's Turfway Park. Uh, Kentucky Racing, and you know, we've talked about this with our KTDF partners uh, in the past. Becoming a year, a real year-round circuit. We saw those horses do well in Keeneland, and there was a great stat that um, uh, Thoroughpace posted the other day, looking at. Um, the, the the all the layoffs that you see this time of year at Woodbine and the recency horses did have a backed up statistical advantage. You mentioned Botanical, who won two back. I mean, that horse would be one to twenty in here. Botanical's headed to the to Oaks and goes there with a shot. So I just think Jill Jitterbug is the one. I'm going to see a good trip, um, even if not on the lead, like you were saying, just not too far back and and uh, going to get a good trip. I think from you know just off that speed or. Even from mid-pack, I think we'll be able to get the job done going the extended, slightly extended six furlongs sprinting in this spot. We'll move to a starter allowance race, which goes as race number eight. This one is at the sharper five and a half. We've got a field of six going postward. And I just was drawn immediately to the three romantic gamble in the spot. A real winning kind who's run well over this course before and has a, a, a really strong recent race i thought closing against the flow to win at aqueduct this is a spot where i think romantic gambles the type of closer who might get just invited into the race in this spot and i think could still be finishing best i'm all about romantic gamble in race eight where are you oh well i'm sticking with the recency angle here 
but I'm going in a different direction. I'm going to go with the number one cotton. I think the light bulb really turned on for this runner for Drexler and is going to get the second off the bench, third start with Drexler. And I think this horse is going to be massively overbet at like three to two on the day. So fair value at two to one. If folks like romantic gamble, like you're saying, I think this horse has a great, great chance. Last out, completely troubled trip, stuck behind a wall of horses and really can upgrade that buyer figure uh, three, four points easily uh, in my book. So the number one cotton for me is is my kind of single in this race. I will comment romantic gamble. I don't love betting horses off a career best, especially when their back form is against weaker on the same surface. Now, that could be because this horse was three years old, younger horse, and now is older and getting things put together. But I'm willing to take a stand against what likely will be a short price between the one and the three inside with the one on this case. All right, we'll go oppo. We'll, we'll, we'll take each other on there in race number eight after largely agreeing in race number seven. Let's move to race number nine, where we've got an allowance going five and a half once again. Field of seven this time. Giant favorite in this spot, Drew, in the form of a Filo di Ariana, who was going to run in the in the Woodbine Mile, if I'm remembering that correctly, before having a setback. Looking at the work tab, seems like things are going back in the right direction. Are you with or against Filo di Ariana in this ninth race? It's it's really hard to stand against this horse, isn't it? And I think the question is over under a two two to five on the on the yeah. live toe. I, I I side with over. I think it'll be three to five. I'd be tempted to just say yes at three to five on this horse. Yeah. Yeah. The, the only, the only pause is this horse is coming off a long layoff off the setback and there's a lot of speed in here. And I think a horse that can clunk up is the number six, super uh, dormy, I believe. I think I have a typo in my notes. Yeah. Super dormy. Um, I think this runner has the best closing kick and should be able to get exactly what this horse wants with the inside speeds drawn inside and should have more or less a clean kick. And I think the price is going to continue to drift up to probably 10 or 12 to one as some of the other more notables like secret reserve and the number two, you mentioned the heavy favorite, it's going to take all the money. So don't sleep on the number six, super dormy, but a lot of my money would be running through the two uh, filio D we'll just leave it at that. (laughs) I think that uh, I think that that super um, dormy is a really good exact partner for Philo. I think Philo de Ariana could burn off the speed or any horses that attempt middle moves. And I, I love that cold two, six exacta idea. I'm going to put that in my notes um, for, for a secondary play for me, in addition to just, you know, messing around a little bit with, uh, with Philo on the, on the top line. So do you have both the two and the six as A's essentially there? How do you want me to express it? In the notes? No, the A is a, the two is an A and the six is a B. And if you're looking for anything underneath the number one Forrester's fortune at 20 to one, I think will be even higher is an intriguing closer type as well. Light on figures, but with the perfect setup can really get up into the frame second or third. I just don't think is going to be able to have to run a career best figure um, and at six years old, I don't think that's in the cards, but I think can definitely get up into it if some of these horses have to throw in the towel and do a non-finish at the eighth pole. Non-finish um, meaning, right? Horses yep. being conserved in the job. I will right. make I'll make a note that you will consider using the one in exact as, as well. One more race to tackle. It's our nightcap. Three-year-old maiden fillies going the flat five on the synth. Field of nine. Um, field of nine turning up in this spot for uh, race number 10. I want to make sure I said that correctly. 
I had an angle in here, you know, it's just classic old school stuff. When none of run the par, look at the firster. That's number two foolish <laughs> games who I thought was very, very interesting by an excellent first time starter in reload. I found nothing interesting in the female family, but I love the look of the work the other day from foolish games um, from the gate seventh of 130 four in uh, 47 and three fifths. As we get closer, we can check on the Woodbine website and see what uh, clocker Ernie Perry has on this one, if anything, but uh, that's the way I wanted to go. I was going to close it out with foolish games. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I, it, what a wide open event. And I, I'm going with two, two double digit prices. The number seven strike the, the pose speed blinkers on and gets a cut back and return to form of the debut win, or, uh, excuse me, the debut could win this race, running a pretty good figure on the debut and then kind of stumbled around for a little bit. And then the number one Loki's lightning at 12 to one, same thing, speed blinkers go off above Jackie aboard and gets to run an optional claiming uh, company for the first time uh, uh, in this event. So I, I, I'm pretty, pretty excited uh, to see the number one Loki's lightning because gets, gets back on the all weather where, where this one wasn't running. I mean, good i shouldn't even say good let me let me just scratch that from the record but <laughs> I, I i think it's just interesting right i have so many knocks on so many of the shorter prices in the field i'm fading number three silent tribute at seven to two three tries at those levels and continues to press and fade with our top two choices of speeds why would this one get any better of a trip fading the number four sensational sarah sprinty doesn't seem to be this one strong suit um and number five, worry less four to one. Only good figure earned was with soft fractions on the front end. Um, at this level, two back and now faces stiffer fractions. So how is this one going to work out a trip? So I'm going bombs away, seven one in this event, both A's and then fading the top three in the market. Yeah, we're, we're similar in wanting to beat the ones at the top of the market. Foolish games for me. And then, uh, you know, you've got the combined, you've got your Madonna hunch play and strike the pose and then your Marvel movie one with uh, Loki's lightning. So it all, it all makes sense. Hey, that's why they call me Hollywood, right? <laughs> no one's called me Hollywood in my life. <laughs> so. <laughs> Maybe someday. Maybe so, we'll see yeah. what happens within the money media. Maybe we'll, yeah. we'll move out last, one... you know, it'll be like Mad Men. <laughs> right, right. Just hopefully less cigarettes. Um, and so so this will be a great tote race to watch the tote. I I would hate to write the morning line for this one. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. If Loki's lightning is two to one, this is an instant fade for me because it's just too wide open. But if we're seeing double digits on either of those horses, all systems are a go. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I, I agree. It'll be an interesting race to try to bet based on uh, where the money's going and might be able to might be able to get a couple of these prices even into the exacta to close things out at Woodbine. All right, Drew, I got uh, another interview coming right up. Going to be talking about a little bit of New York racing right after this. Live Racing returns to Belmont Park on May 4th. Get all the info over at the Naira website, naira.com slash Belmont. While you're there, you can check out the weekly Naira Bets contest under the Handicapping Contest tab. There's also a free Naira Showdown game where you can win real prizes. Look for Showdown over on naira.com. And if you're looking for the complete schedule of America's Day at the Races, go ahead and check out our pretty link over at inthemoneypodcast.com slash TV. Last but not least, we take a look at the Aqueduct pick six for Sunday. With what the weather is, we're going to need a little bit of luck. Going to need some prognostications to be wrong, really, I think, for them to stay on the turf. But that happens from time to time. We will see. Um, 
It kicks off with a dirt race, though, and we'll get to that in a minute as soon as I introduced our guest, who is a frequent contributor to uh, In The Money Media, both on these airwaves and uh, sometimes sitting in my chair here and, and very often over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. I am speaking of Nick Tamaro. Nick, what's going on? Doing great, my friend. Glad, glad to uh, see a nice-looking card. I know the weather might not cooperate, but a good-looking aqueduct card and what's already already closing weekend at aqueduct it's been eight months of of racing in uh, ozone park we're ready to head it's to Belmont crazy soon. yeah I'm, I'm excited and and we'll see you know lots of chatter about the future of belmont maybe we'll get some news on that uh, coming up and and what's going to be happening and where they're going to be running um with all these changes interesting changes development projects in in new york racing kind of thing where might be a growing pain or two, but uh, hey, uh, I'm excited for the future of, of, of New York racing for sure, even if it takes us a minute to get to where it's ultimately going to be. Um, and yeah, Belmont, when do they open? Is it, uh, do they, how many days off do they take? Thursday. So they'll take three days oh. off and be back at it Thursday. Um, this is the latest Belmont opening we've had in quite some time, but I know you're definitely old enough to remember because I'm old enough to remember when they raced at Aqueduct on, on Derby Day. Absolutely. So it really, wasn't, I, really wasn't that long ago. Yeah, I remember watching in the old Man of War room, the 1997 Kentucky Derby right there out at uh, at the Big A. <laughs> and there were a few others. Where was the Man of War room? I think it's where maybe Longshots is now. I feel okay. like it was some sort of real estate up there. And it was just like a... You know, it was not a fancy um, simulcast area, but it was right. just the couches and couches and tables and and a, and a whole bunch of TVs. You know, it was like a it was sort of like a teletheater in the middle of the track. Um, yeah, I, I my very first trip to Aqueduct was in March of '99, and my dad and I sat in what I believe for a long time afterwards was called the Manhattan Terrace, where you could see Manhattan from the the little oh, balcony oh. behind. And uh, yeah, we had a we had a great day. We had a ton of fun. Um, that was the first very first time I went. I had gone to the Belmont at least once by then. It's going to be my fifteenth Belmont, Pete. I'm I'm glad I'm I'm getting up there. That's awesome. That's really good. Yeah, Belmont's one that you know. I I I just swear twenty twenty doesn't count. And so if you if you if you if you take the twenty twenty doesn't count, I I can claim everyone going back to to ninety six. So it's. Uh, it's it's a proud streak. I'm trying to decide this year, trying to get my final lineup organized. You know, typically I, I honor my racing heritage and sit out there in the grandstand with a bunch of my uh, old pals. But I'm half tempted to come in the fancy people area with you guys this year because we've got uh, so many fun people who are going to be around, including yourself and uh, Sean Borman, Marshall Graham, etc. So we'll we'll see. I, I always end up dividing time anyway, but I thought it might be fun to just, you know, sit in the sit in the in the fancy area this year we'll see how it plays out though we'll see if they let your kind in there <laughs> we could we'll, we'll determine in fact yes if they do let anybody in the fancy area at uh at belmont what's that why am i spacing on what that room is called garden terrace yes the garden yeah. terrace very nice place very nice place to watch the races you usually you know out the wazoo on uh on uh, mother mother's day father's day as well all right let's dive in to these races starting with uh, the kickoff leg, which is race number four. This one is for New York bred fillies and mares, three and up maiden special weights going six furlongs on the dirt. Who would you like to uh, start off this pick six? You know, obviously a lot of attention is going to go to the six Angelique. Who's a first or 
by Army Mule. And we saw Todd win with an Army Mule firster back on uh, Gotham Day. Obviously, Irad is now relocated to New York, save Belmont, save a Derby in Preakness Weeks. So, uh, I mean, she's... It, it's tough to say a first-time starter is the horse to beat, right? But she looks like the horse that is probably supposed to take the majority of the attention, in large part because the experienced runners really don't offer much. And I know that that Shaman Princess has probably been good enough to win, but boy, it has it has not been a pretty ten months or so for Rudy Rodriguez, who comes into to this card or at least into Friday's program, oh for thirty-four at the meet. He's less than ten percent going back to the the beginning of Saratoga last year. So Angelique's dam was a two-time winner. They both came on the turf. Um, this horse is a half to Wells Bayou who won the Louisiana Derby. Ultimately more ground is probably going to be her friend, but I just, I guess I kind of expected her to win Pete. I didn't have too much clever to say. I did want to use Foxy Cara as an alternative. I know she got a big pace to run at. This is an enormous jockey change from Joey Martinez to, uh, to Javier Castellano. And so I wanted to give that one a bit of a shot as well. Echo in eternity is a half to ice princess who, Danny Gargan had a New York bred uh, filly who was a stake winner and multiple stake placed. The dam was, uh, was a winner on turf, but was also stake placed in her time. Those are more backups for me. Six with the, uh, with the two, four and seven as backups. All right. Six with the two, four and the seven. You basically, you know, went through everything I was going to say in this race. Um, I will just also mention about Angelique that the dam and Wells Bayou did also both win first time out. So you compare you you throw that in with the above average numbers for Army Mule. I mean, just super obvious. Shaman Princess, you said it all as well. Has run the par, which I usually like, but man, the run the barn is on, and the other talent. I don't. I wonder if Shaman Princess won't need a little bit easier. I'll still back up with the seven. Most of the money will run through the six. Angelique, nothing terribly creative there, but the hopefully a logical result gets us going in this pick six, which continues with a race originally carded for the turf this $25,000 claimer going a mile and a 16th and uh you know th this is one where shadow sphinx if we stay on turf just has figures and form that tower over the group if you can get over the giant for sale sign on dirt back ring luck i think finds a, a extremely good spot to potentially do his thing this is a, a horse that has nine wins and racing at a low level against a potentially overmatched group on the dirt. So 10 for me, if off the five shadow Sphinx, if we're on now, Nick, you have the opportunity since you're going to be doing the write-up on in the money podcast.com sort of reserving your thoughts if they come off for the blog post you're going to do. But uh, if it stays on turf, are you with or against shadow Sphinx? And, and do you have any off the cuff dirt horses to suggest? Yeah, it's a uh, God. It's an ugly drop on Shadow Sphinx, and it's just so hard to take these horses with any confidence at all. And this is a horse that, that they claim for sixty-two-five. I didn't do the math, but they've got to be out. You know, they've got to be they've got to be pretty darn close. I mean, they picked up twenty-seven thousand in the Artie Schiller alone, and then won the uh, optional claimer down at Gulfstream. But you know, we're into turf season now, so this is a horse that like you went through the winter, you got him some starts on the turf. This horse got a 96 buyer the last time he was in New York, and you're just giving him away. And, and you know, Maker is not a guy that plays poker like this very often. I mean, this is a horse that he clearly is expecting to win and get claimed. If it's on the turf, I mean, he's the horse to beat. Original is probably the best alternative, but he's just a mile better than Original or anybody else. I'm actually intrigued by this race coming off the turf because 
Uh, so they're they're going to go to a mile and an eighth, right? Mile of sixteenth goes to a mile and an eighth. At, I, I think that's how they do it. I, I believe so. So I I actually I think backring luck, like you said, is is clearly the horse to beat. I'm I'm a little interested in uh, in healing the healing in Mount Travers entry. Um, because I thought healing was a little little too wide last time out against much better. First half of that card, you really wanted to be inside. So I could give him a little bit of an excuse. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it, it seems as if, if this is on the turf, then Shadow Sphinx will be very hard to beat. And if it's on the dirt, then it's probably just, uh, what, one in ten, and that's it? Yep. All right. Let's talk about the other scheduled turf race, race number six. Starter allowance, originally scheduled for the six furlongs. On turf, I... I'll take a little bit of a shot with the cleverly named um, with the cleverly named son of McLean's music, Starry Starry Night, number four. Also good hunch play for Van Gogh fans. Big trouble note from this one's last run at Saratoga. Solid body of work, and I thought was a runner that on the turf could get uh, just a really good setup. My Sea Cottage, very, very obvious, the nine runner in here, but was trying to make the case that with so much pace signed on the outside draw, maybe my Sea Courage gets caught up in that and could set it up for an off-the-pace run from a runner like Starry Starry Night. I would want nines on tickets, though. And then on dirt, I gravitated towards the number 13, Nolo Contesto, who I thought might have needed the last run. Very wide, two races back, and then had a really good race to run back to three back and against, you know, there's plenty of MTOs in here. So it's not like just running against overmatched turf horses, but I thought might catch the right field as well. Four and nine on turf, 13 on dirt. What do you think, Nick? Yeah, I didn't have terribly much to add. I thought that Sorry Starry Night was the alternative to My Sea Cottage and you mentioned the, uh, the the pretty significant trouble now in the care of Michelle Hemingway. And uh, John Kimmel did get his first win of 2023 back in New York a couple of days ago. He narrowly missed with another horse that probably was best. There's not a lot of depth in this field at all on turf. And I'd actually argue, Pete, this might be a better race on dirt. So the the, uh, the horses that you want to probably lean towards on dirt include, you mentioned uh, Nolo Contesto, Built to Last, both coming out of that Z-Bear race where they each benefited from pretty pretty strong early pace setups. I'm not sure what prompted Luis Rodriguez to keep Built to Last so far off the pace, but it was exactly where you wanted to be. He was uh, he was well back and unleashed a good late bid. Previously had been pretty much just a, a one-way speed horse, so I thought he was a little bit dangerous. I think that Jamie Ness is McCracken's ghost, who's coming in from Parks, uh, three-year-old facing elders, uh, which is not always the greatest thing this time of year, but this is a horse that looks to be improving at the right time. It's fast enough on figures and this Barnes horses have done well in New York. So probably some combination of the 13 and 14 for me on dirt and the four and nine on turf, just like you. Yeah. I think that you could get a, a fun, speaking of fun hunch plays, you could get uh, people that have uh, children bet in 12, 13 or 14, you know, you, you, you might, you might have a chance for a, a you know, a December 13th, 2014, you know, a trifecta or something. If 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 you want to go that race route, if this race comes off and and moves on to the dirt, you don't often get the don't often get the chance to to box around with the with with those numbers. Let's talk about race number seven. Sixteen thousand dollar claimers going a mile on the dirt. Field of ten. Um, uh, actually, uh, we got the we have the entry here. So field of eleven looking to go postward. How did you see this one, Nick? You know, I wish I was more clever. And actually, on the topic that you were just discussing, the Derby is the, one of the only chances of the year for me to box twelve fifteen, which is <laughs> my birthday, of course. So I do, I do that for a couple of bucks. Um, Mo Rewards is the horse to beat from the rail. This is a horse that Linda claimed for twenty five, 
and has gotten absolutely nothing from in two subsequent starts. So it's it's not the the, uh, the friendliest drop, so to speak. But uh, this is a horse that's undoubtedly facing considerably softer than he has pretty much at any point recently. I, I hate going back to my friend BC Glory days, especially because this is a really negative rider change. I mean, this guy, I mean, Castillo cannot ride at all. Um, but he's at least uh, on a horse that it shouldn't take too much imagination to figure out what he's supposed to do. They're just supposed to go to the lead. But this horse got involved in a white hot pace last time out that really came apart late. The one, three finishers have each come back to run. Well, I, I know he was probably on the better part of the racetrack that day, but I can excuse him given the strength of that pace. So I, I kind of wanted to use the two and seven. Um, I, I don't want to be beaten by Poppy on ice because I do think that, that uh, this horse cost me a fortune, by the way. I had him, it's actually off his PPs because he runs so frequently. He ran second in November at like 28 to one. And I would have had to pick five for $2 if he won. Anyway, <laughs> but um, and he, he ran well. I had the exact, luckily I made some money, but uh, he and D Speedster are both horses that I think you can use. It's just a question of how much bankroll flexibility you have because ideally you'd use both. D Speedster is going to be, they're basically the same horse. One is ridden by Arad Ortiz, one is ridden by Romero Mirage, one is trained by Orlando Noda, one's trained by Randy Persaud. And so the Randy Persaud runner is going to be three times the price. Yeah. But they're they're the they're the same horse for all intents and purposes. Maybe D Speedster has a little bit more speed, but not exactly uh Mia Farah here. Two and seven on the A-line, 10-9 to back up. That's the plan as of right now. Yep. Number two, Mo Rewards was my top pick as well. Just going to get a great setup, I think, with lots of speed signed on. And this is a significant drop for this barn that's been on a really extended hot streak. Um, nothing too clever. I was wondering if the three let freedom spring could be a sneaky best of speed play in here, looking at the other horses that that could um, that could go forward. I, I wondered if that horse wasn't worth a, a, a little bit of a press. I mean – just won the maiden at the eighth time of asking, but those were some fast fractions early mud should be some uh, wet in the ground. Again, do you see let freedom spring at all? Yeah, I didn't have a big, uh, big angle against. I thought that really after Mo rewards, I thought you could make a case for a number of horses in here and at least let freedom spring. I don't mind these recent maiden winners coming back against two life claimers. And really I I've made this argument to people in the past and I've gotten some sideways glances, but a lot of times these two life claimers are not any harder than some of those maiden races. Oh, that's, so that's yeah, I, I would say that there's, there's a lot to like. And and yeah, you mentioned that this horse was very forwardly placed in a fast paced race. And there's always an upgrade for that. Yeah. Let's, I'm just curious now to look at time form race rating time form race rating actually had that maiden claimer as an 84 and grades this one as an, as an 83 coming in to your, to your point about it, not necessarily being any harder. And I was sort of hoping that maybe there'd be after the pop and, and fade last time. And, and the jockey change, you mentioned that maybe something silly would happen with BC glory days and he wouldn't be up there. And then all of a sudden, you know, let freedom spring just has to shake off basic truth. I could just see the trip working out under a certain amount of circumstances and zero interest as a favorite, but 10 to one on the morning line, probably a good guess mess around with that. That one and the two. Let's talk about this allowance race number eight that sees the return to the races of Zandon. You know, obviously he's supposed to be vulnerable, right? The stakes horse coming back, bigger goals down the line. But as I went through the form, Nick, I couldn't find anybody I, I, I could feel good in my heart. I was going to say was going to beat him. Maybe you will be more clever than me who has Zandon standing alone as of now. Are you with this big favorite or against? 
Well, you, you know, I, I think the the prospect of rain is probably not the greatest news because he really didn't run well in the cigar mile. Um, I think I was, I was talking to Steve Bick about it earlier. I think I, I referred to the performance as embarrassing, but it was it was a pretty weak effort. And, you didn't think he just got Rosario there? Too far back? Yeah, just too too passive. Yeah, perhaps. I think there there might have been a little bit of that. Um, I think there's probably some concern on that topic. The pace was slow. So I, I do think that's the excuse. I just, I felt like he got him right into position at the quarter pole. And I know they came home relatively fast, all things considered, but he just didn't, he didn't gather them in at all to me. And yeah. I felt like this horse's game was really supposed to be at a mile. And so I was just disappointed with that effort. That being said, I think Chad is going to have him ready to put some starch on him right out of the box in 2023. I think he needs this horse to run well. I mean, I think there's probably an argument to be made that he's considering using this as a prep for the Met Mile yeah. and not knowing what, you know, what might be in the Met Mile, but given the, the dearth of good horses out there, I think he could easily end up there. So he's supposed to win. He's first time Lasix. Uh, Flavian Pratt is in to ride. That's That's got to be a good sign. Not that he was probably giving up much in Kentucky on the day, but I think he's just supposed to win. The other thing about this race in particular, Pete, is like if you're not if you're not gonna if you want to beat Zandon, who exactly are you doing it with? I couldn't come up with it. I wanted to at least be, oh, well, put 80% through Zandon and 20% through, and I I could never answer the question of what to do with it. I, I just I just didn't I didn't I couldn't come up with a with a cogent case. And I mean, I think the I'm in the exact same boat. I think the thing that I would probably be most comfortable doing is taking Uncle Moonlight as a possible just we're going to go back to the tactics that worked on Belmont Day and we're going to try and wire the field because you know that Irad is not exactly going to fly out of the gate on high connection. And I'm I'm not believing that Joel is going to put the screws to last chance of glory out of the gate. The other speed is good skate, but he's coming out a mile and a quarter and mile and three eighth races. So he's not fast at all. So I'll have a little bit on Uncle Moonlight because at least that June 11th running line, that was also probably with the help of a pretty strong rail on the early part of the Belmont Day card. But he's at least got that race. And nobody. And to me, if Zandon is beaten here, he is beaten by a horse that gets loose that he can't run down. Yeah, I, that's all very, very reasonable to me. Um, and you've got, a, you've got the right pilot to give that good, aggressive ride in that spot. I just don't, yeah, I don't know what we're going to get from Rosario on, on last chance at glory. I mean, it just, it is, it's funny to me. I'd love, there's stats on this we could pull, but I just, more than any other jockey, I feel like he wants to be first or last. <laughs> you know? And if, it, if he, if he's conservative, all of a sudden I could totally see Uncle Moonlight stealing it. And if he's aggressive, boy, it's going to just really fall into Zandon's lap. So it's, uh, it's, well, and the thing about that is that, you know, Linda has her pick right now of probably four different riders with Jose Lascano hurt. And of all of them, provided they're all available, because, I mean, she's not using, I mean, maybe Javier was booked to go on, on Galt because he's ridden him before. And she also has tonal impact. Why are you putting Rosario on a horse that you might want on the lead? Right? Wouldn't you put Jose on on Last Chance of Glory if you wanted him to be forwardly placed? That's at least my thought. So I, I don't know. It's it's possible. Last Chance of Glory has been claimed, I believe, it's somewhere around 75 times. <laughs> it is amazing. I mean, you just, you, 
it is comical. I mean, what is it? Each of the last ten starts. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen it. eleven of his last, or it's it's at least nine of his last ten. I only print out ten running lines. That's yeah, it's just just tremendous. I mean that, and that tells you you've got a horse that is sound. You know, nine nine of his last ten, including including twice claimed from our friends at uh, Ten Strike Racing and Corey Molas Racing. Yeah, it'll be. I wonder what the, this is kind of fun to see how it plays out. But we have probably spent way too much time on a race where the winner is going to pay three dollars. <laughs> about race number nine, twenty thousand dollar maiden claimer going seven on the dirt uh, field of ten heading here for this one. I actually kind of like a horse in here. But we'll throw it to you first, Nick. How are we going to get paid in this pick six at Aqueduct? Uh, yeah, because we're all dying to just take dad's good runner at a short price, right? But he's really the horse to beat. Um, he's he's the inside speed, and there's just not a whole heck of a lot in this race that really puts any scare into you. I mean, one of the one of the major contenders from the barn of night, Paul Chatterpaul, which with all due respect to that stable, that's not exactly a, a trainer that's really scaring you very much. New York Panther is the other one to use, but you know, his race two back at Laurel is is no great shakes and if Manny is able to get dad's good runner to the lead, he's supposed to wire this field. I actually think that he has buyer speed figures that have probably been hurt by the fact that his last two dirt races, he's been involved in fast paces. So I don't think that, that there's a, a great argument to be made against him. I felt like he probably wired this field. I picked the two Dakota's destiny when he was entered against a really bad field of New York breads last week. And Natalia Lynch scratched him and runs him here in open company. This field isn't much better. But I, I I just think this horse is now hurt by being on the rail. And gosh, I looked at every alternative. I mean, Grand again makes at least a little bit of sense, has a bullet workout. There's an argument to be made. Bold Honor is from Rob Mattress's barn. That's where any good thing stops. And um, and then I, I mentioned Steady Progress is getting a little bit of class relief. But boy, it's hard to warm up to these kind of horses. So I hate taking a short price favorite in this scenario, but it really felt like uh, that good runner was supposed to win. Three, we use some New York Panther. That was the horse that I liked as an alternative. I mean, I certainly I will respect. use some New York Panther. I will use a little bit of break the ice on the outside that's changing surfaces back from Mark Hennig as well. All right, interesting. Yeah, for me, I what I really liked about New York Panther was just how I believe that both of those dirt runs were probably a little bit better than they than they look, given the the trouble in the slop on debut, still a decent figure overall, and then um you know, I, I thought was was maybe not on the best part of the track at Laurel back on, on March 11th, the way that it was playing. So I, I thought this horse could just do a lot better and on the drop be a reasonable alternative. Certainly did not want to get beat by the three. I have no knocks. I mean, flow, flow upgrade twice and could be able to dominate on the front end. I just didn't want to. I wasn't in love with, with trusting at a at too short of a price. And in any case, I feel like I'll have plenty of three eights covered in the, in the exacta as well. So that's how I'm going to approach it. Really just those two horses to hopefully get us out at aqueduct. Nick, we'll have you back um, next week, either with me or maybe you hosting somebody else to get your thoughts on uh, all things, Kentucky Derby and Oaks. We've got our schedule of live events it's up on the website now, inthemoneypodcast.com slash live, doing this whiskey tasting um, in Prospect, Kentucky on Tuesday out of the Chestnut Hall Farm. We've got our final answer show at Malone's on Wednesday in Lex. Thursday, it's the Gall House in Louisville for the Derby Dozen show. Me, JK, Vanessa Ryle, Maggie Wolfendale for that one. It's going to be a ton of fun. We encourage folks to check it out. 
Uh, lots of new cool content dropping on the In The Money Plus side as well. InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash plus or derby package. Stuff is coming fast and furious. You pay for one month and you get that. And uh, folks tend to love it. Lots of new cool stuff this year. Nick, you'll be doing some podcasts on that one. I you know, I think last year there was a, a, a derby superfecta or derby card weight uh, vertical strategy one. And maybe did you do something on the two-day pick six? Is that Does that sound right? Michael Loney and I did a, a derby, derby itself, superfecta at vertical wagering show, um, which I, if Mike is willing to do it again. I would, I would love to have him on and I'll probably in years past, I've done early pick fives on Friday and Saturday. So I I'm committing myself to being done handicapping both cards by Wednesday morning. So I will, uh, I'll be ready to do whatever. We'll get some, we'll get some good stuff. The picks grid with all the contributors. We've got Kevin Kilroy out there watching workouts, getting some news. That'll be uh, only through the Derby package. Tons of free stuff as well, though. If you just go to inthemoneypodcast.com, check out our YouTube channel as well. We've got YouTube exclusive content, including that Randy Moss, Jerry Bailey show. That was a lot of fun. Anyway, you know where to find us. Check it all out. Nick, I want to thank you. I want to thank uh, all of the guests on today's show, including Drew and Klaus and Justin and Frank. Really great to get to talk racing with you lot ahead of such a big week. We'll thank our founding partners, uh, 10 Strike Racing. We always love to root for the Purple and Black, as well as the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, who we're doing a couple of these events with next week. trfinc.org slash players to, to check them out and look at our calendar of events with them. Most of all, I want to thank all of you, the listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. Our business managers, Drew Coatney. Our chief creative officers, Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatel. May you win all your photos. <laughs>